Hi, I'm Bill Osmolsky with the MacGyver Institute, and welcome to MacGyver Newsmakers Podcast. I'm joined today by Tom Vilsack. He is the CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council, and he's the former Ag Secretary for President Obama and uh, former Governor of the State of Iowa. Uh, Tom, thank you very much for joining us today. Well, I'm glad to be with you. The dairy industry is kind of on all the headlines right now. It has been for the past year because USA Today actually ran a big series all last year about the plight of the American dairy farmer. And that's something that's an issue that's very close to our hearts here in Wisconsin. And um, could you just uh, kind of tell us, you know, from your perspective, what what is what situation is the uh, average dairy farmer facing and how does trade fit into that? Well, it's been a rough couple of years, uh, three or four years for dairy farmers in Wisconsin and around the country. Uh, prices were uh, significantly below what they needed to be in order for uh, operations to remain profitable, particularly small to mid-sized operations. And so that's caused a lot of heartache uh, and a lot of pain uh, for a number of uh, farm families. And, and tragically, in some cases, uh, folks have lost the farm uh, and folks have felt uh, a level of despair that, uh, that we haven't seen in farm country since probably the 1980s. Uh, the good news is uh, that prices are rebounding. Uh, for dairy producers, and that we're seeing a bit of uptick, uh, but it's a it's a complicated issue. Uh, it starts with domestic consumption. Uh, the reality is that uh, the American dairy industry generally has been domestic domestically oriented for quite some time, um, and uh, up until about five, ten years or fifteen years or so ago, it was almost exclusively domestically oriented. In other words, it was selling primarily what it was producing to American consumers. There's been a lot of competition now in the beverage area. Uh, and so fluid milk sales haven't been what they used to be. So we're looking at ways in which the dairy industry can diversify, ways in which people can consume dairy. Uh, and that's taken some time. Uh, it's taken some innovation and it's taken some capital investment uh, that that is currently underway. Uh, in order to convert it to uh, certain powders that are used in health and wellness uh, bars and beverages, uh, certainly cheese, which is important in Wisconsin, uh, is something that's been uh, a significant uh, uh, product in which we are not drinking our dairy, we're, con- we're eating it, and we're seeing uh, increased uh, cheese sales in the United States. So the result of all of this is that uh, it's been a tough time, but I think prices are a bit better this year, and hopefully we've, uh, we've uh, reached a turning point where things can return to profitability. The issue of exports uh, is really important to all of this. Uh, uh, When we first started focusing on exports, it was a relatively small percentage of production. Uh, Less than 5% of production was exported to the rest of the world. Uh, The rest of the world was doing a pretty good job of exporting its dairy to us here in the U.S. Uh, But we saw the need for diversifying markets. We saw the fact that dairy consumption, fluid milk consumption uh, was was highly competitive. Uh, The market was highly competitive. And so we began about 15 years ago to focus more on markets outside of the U.S., Mexico, our number one market, Southeast Asia, China, Japan, Korea, uh, uh, some Middle Eastern uh, and North African countries, all created opportunities so that today about one in, in six or one in seven tankers that you see on the road carrying milk ultimately ends up in a product that's exported around the world. Uh, last year, uh, 2019, uh, we did a little over $6 billion of exports, which is about a billion, $200 million more than it was uh, in 2016 when I began working for 
the U.S. Dairy Export Council, and we began a process to deepen and strengthen our export activities. Uh, we've also seen uh, for the last three years volume increases in exports ranging anywhere from uh, 150,000 metric tons to over 300,000 metric tons over what they were in 2016, and that has in part uh, resulted ultimately in, in a little better price for uh, dairy farmers. So if we get up to, so is the idea then if we can export 20% of all the dairy that we produce in this in this country, that we'll start getting these dairy farmers back uh, back into the black, um, and you know maybe making a living. Well, you know, here's the here's the reality. These dairy farmers are the best in the world. They are just unbelievably productive. Uh, I use the statistic that in 1950, uh, dairy producers and uh, the, the average cow produced about 5,500 pounds of milk. Today, 23, 24, 25, 26,000 uh, pounds of milk from the same basic animal. So it, it's a, a tremendous increase in productivity. The problem is that as we've increased productivity, we have not increased consumption at the same level. So there's excess, and that's why exports become important. Getting it to 20% would assure us of making sure that any surplus above what we are consuming here domestically can go into the market so we can stabilize prices and hopefully increase prices. Uh, To do that uh, requires us to acknowledge that we got into the export game relatively late compared to our competitors in New Zealand and, and the uh, European Union. They've been in the export business for 50, 50 years or more. They have deeper relationships. Uh, they have stronger ties to some of these export markets. So the next 5% plan, which was to increase from 15% to 20% of uh, milk solid production, uh, is based on a deeper presence. More people uh, advocating for and learning about uh, the U.S. dairy industry. Um, more partnerships with universities, uh, with culinary institutes, so that we can create a, a generation of people who understand the flexibility and the versatility and the functionality of U.S. dairy products. More promotions, uh, higher presence of the U.S. dairy industry. And a good example was uh, a U.S. Uh, dairy Export Council assisted small cheese producers in displaying at the World Cheese uh, Awards uh, efforts uh, uh, several months ago which resulted in, for the first time ever, the U.S. having the number one cheese in the world. Uh, it was a blue cheese out of Oregon. Um, but 131 medals were awarded to, to a variety of U.S. cheeses, including those in Wisconsin, uh, that re- reflected the fact that we're really improving the quality of cheese uh, in production in this country. Uh, so that's really the, the purpose behind uh, the next 5% plan. No wonder why they don't want us to be able to call it Swiss cheese anymore. <laughs> Well, that's, no, I'll tell you what, that's a really big issue. Yeah. Uh, the, the reality is that the Europeans understand that they will, over the long haul, not be able to compete with us because we will continue to be productive, we'll continue to improve quality, we'll continue to be innovative. Uh, and the only way they'll be able to compete successfully is if they can, if they only can use a certain cheese name that people, uh, customers are familiar with. If they are the only ones who can call a cheese a Parmesan or a cheese Gorgonzola or a cheese Asiago, then obviously it's going to make it easier for them to market and more difficult for us to market that cheese uh, in foreign markets. How would they be able to actually get that role in place? Would it be a a trade deal with us? Well, it's a trade deal that the European Union makes with other countries. Recently, they did one with Japan and Mexico, uh, where they essentially got certain protections. Now, we've pushed back on this. The most recent uh, trade agreement with USMCA, once it gets ratified by uh, Canada, 
uh, we will have in place in Mexico a, a better process allowing the U.S. to sort of inject itself whenever the EU makes an effort to try to um, monopolize a certain cheese name. So uh, we'll have due process. We'll have the ability to come in and say, no, that's not a that's not a geographic indication. That's a common name. It should be uh, used by anybody who's producing that type of cheese. Now, speaking of these trade deals, how close will that get us to the, uh, how, how close will that get us to this goal of 20 percent? Well, the USMCA uh, essentially will preserve our number one market, which is Mexico, and allow us to continue to see growth uh, as consumption increases in Mexico. U.S. consumers, U.S. producers, rather, and processors will continue to sell more product, more powder, and more cheese. That's obviously going to help. Uh, there's a slight increase in, in the market in Canada, uh, roughly $300 million more of product once this is fully implemented is anticipated. So that will help uh, a bit. Uh, the Japanese phase one agreement was a very important agreement because we were at a competitive disadvantage to our friends in the European Union and to New Zealand. Our two major competitors in that market will be able to regain market share uh, and continue to see growth on cheese. I think the big question mark uh, from a trade agreement perspective is whether or not the phase one trade agreement with China, which goes into effect uh, on February 14th, uh, the day we're yeah, or, today. Yeah. yeah, today. Uh, th th whether or not the agreement by the Chinese to purchase additional agricultural products, A, actually happens, no guarantee that it will happen because they've created somewhat of a loophole by saying it's, it's based on market conditions, and B, if they do purchase agricultural products, will it include dairy, and if so, how much? Um, I think there are some opportunities for dairy in China, which could significantly impact uh, that number, just to give you a sense of this, um, we estimated that when the retaliatory tariffs were put on uh, by the administration in China, uh, it probably impacted 1% uh, of all dairy uh, milk solid production. In other words, we would have had a percent higher uh, uh, exports in, in uh, milk solids in exports than we had uh, once the retaliatory tariffs were in place. So instead of uh, it's almost 16% of uh, milk solid production going into exports. It would have been close to, to 18%. So you can see that one country can make a big difference. So we're keeping fingers crossed and hope that it does result in new opportunities. Real quick, um, on this issue of the 5%, what are we talking about in terms of um, um, uh, of dollar amount? Because you mentioned, you know, the uh, the, the uh, trade agreement with Canada has the potential to uh, increase uh, exports there, $300 million. How many hundreds of millions of dollars do we need to see that 5%? Well, it's difficult to say that because it depends on, on what is actually sold. Uh, what it, uh, most of the powder that's produced in the United States is, is sold in the export market. Roughly 70 to 75 percent of all powder sales are export sales. The key here is cheese. Uh, we did see an increase in 2019 in the percentage of cheese being produced in the U.S. that went into the export market. It went from roughly 5 percent of cheese production to 6 percent. If we could get that number to 10 percent, uh, we'd see a significant increase uh, in, in value, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars, if not uh, you know, more than a billion dollars of additional opportunity. So it's tough to put a number on it because it does depend a little bit on what is actually being sold. Is it the low price commodity powder or is it the high value cheeses and, and high value uh, milk uh, protein concentrates uh, and uh, whey protein concentrates? Okay, then... Um in terms of so here in Wisconsin, 
we're at the end of our legislative session. Um, you know, elections coming up. Everybody wants to show that they're the, the farmer's best friend. One of the things that Democrats and Republicans both seem to agree here is on um, uh, marketing Wisconsin dairy products in order to uh, get closer to that 20% goal. Now, how much impact can a state have on reaching that 20% goal? Um, will that kind of, are we talking about something that can actually, um, are we talking about something that will actually supplement the trade deals? Or are we talking about something that will duplicate, something that will, you know, kind of be independent of it? Like, how does that fit into the, the big mix when a state tries to take international action like that? Well, I think for a state like Wisconsin, the ability to market in Canada uh, with the additional market quotas being increased by the USMCA, it may be that uh, Wisconsin can disproportionately take full, fuller advantage of that trade agreement. Uh, in terms of other markets, Asian markets, Middle Eastern, North African markets, it's a little bit more difficult because there's obviously greater distance. Uh, and the challenge will be whether or not you can get sufficient quantity uh, of sales of product. Um, you know, if you're an artisan cheese or natural cheese producer, uh, you know, you may not be able to put together a large enough volume of cheese to be able to sell to some of these markets that are looking for rather significant uh, 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 orders. Um, so it, it may be what, what Wisconsin could potentially do is it uses its resources to help package together a number of different uh, export opportunities. In other words, if there if there are uh, you know half a dozen or a dozen cheese manufacturers in, in Wisconsin, each of which has a small contract for export, Wisconsin could potentially provide the resources to supplement what they could pay to transport those small shipments, uh, and maybe make uh, get those into the foreign market, create a, a a consumer base that they could build on. I see. So. Or, so helping with the logistics more than, say, putting up billboards in, uh, right. in China uh, by Wisconsin cheese. <laughs> well, there, there is an opportunity, however. Yeah. Having said that, there is an opportunity. California does a good, bar, a, a good deal of this as well. You can go into a market where the U.S. Dairy Export Council is opening up uh, an office in Singapore to try to cater to Southeast Asians. Uh, it's, in theory, uh, Wisconsin resources could provide the opportunity for uh, – uh, Wisconsin cheesemakers, Wisconsin dairy, to have a, a promotional activity at that center and invite people from all over Southeast Asia to learn more about Wisconsin cheese, for example. Um, so in terms of, you know, some of the other proposals going, you know, flying around here in Wisconsin, we've got things like um, hire more mental health experts to help with, uh, with uh, mental health issues in rural communities. We've got hire more uh, people for the UW extension system to support farmers with research. We've got um, tax credits for uh, uh, health insurance for, for dairy farmers. We've got a property tax uh, relief for dairy farmers. Um, a lot of different ideas floating out there. What, from, from your experience, what do dairy farmers actually want from government to help them get through their day? Well, I, I think that, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that dairy farmers would, would certainly appreciate any assistance and help on property taxes because that's a tax that they have to pay regardless of whether they profit or not. Um, and so that would be that would be real. It would go to the bottom line and would certainly help producers. Um, you know, income tax relief is, uh, is not as uh, popular because oftentimes, uh, unfortunately and tragically, dairy farms don't necessarily generate enough income. To be to to have to pay a substantial amount of tax, um, uh, but if you're a large operation, 
uh, obviously income tax relief would be would be helpful but i think property taxes probably uh, of the two would be more popular among more dairy farmers the mental health piece of this i think is important i don't know that dairy farmers are necessarily asking for it but certainly there is a need for it uh, particularly in the rural areas uh, because there is a lack of, of assistance and help to get people through tough and difficult times there are oftentimes difficult decisions that people have to make and uh, it does impact and affect mental health. Um, you know, I think uh, on extension, uh, you know, I think to the extent that uh, the extension service can provide assistance and help in diversifying an operation, small to mid-sized operations need to think about how they might be able to profit, not just from the production of dairy, but also the processing. You'll see uh, a number of operations in Wisconsin that have been successful are not only producing the milk, but they're processing it into cheese or ice cream and selling it at the local level. Uh, and that provides a new profit opportunity. And then finally, uh, I think over time, we're going to continue to see uh, the, the, the necessity of rural America, farmers, dairy farmers in particular, to be engaged in, uh, in mitigating and adapting to a changing climate and being paid for doing so. Uh, so that you create alternative uh, and additional income streams for dairy producers as they sequester carbon, as they reduce methane, as they convert methane into electricity, or as they uh, take uh, manure uh, and figure out a million different ways to use it to create uh, new products that can be sold on the marketplace and, and you know, transferring a, a waste product uh, into a profit. Yeah, that could be, uh, I, I, could, I could see the value too in that approach given that, um, uh, it seems like dairy farmers um, tend to have a target on their back too when it comes to uh, some environmental groups for having so many cows. I guess well, that might it, be something that could placate that uh, that group. It, it's it's frustrating for dairy farmers because the, uh, North American dairy farmers, which obviously include the f- folks in Wisconsin, are the only dairy producers in the world that have actually reduced their greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, the FAO has essentially uh, has been tracking this. And recently came out with a report that suggested that uh, North American producers actually reduced uh, greenhouse gas emissions in terms of the production of milk. So they're doing their job uh, and they would do more of it. Uh, but it's it's financially uh, a challenge because you need technology, you need uh, equipment to be able to do this stuff. And it's tough to basically say to a farmer who's either just barely making it or not making it at all to spend more money uh, that they don't have. So government could play a significant role at both the federal and state level to sort of help promote the notion of a, of a net zero uh, industry over time uh, and help producers adopt the technologies uh, without uh, crippling them financially. Now, uh, I guess to, to wrap this all up, um, a lot of bad news for dairy farmers over the past several years. Um, I, I can't remember if it's uh, two dairy, I think it's two dairy farmers a day in Wisconsin went out of business last year. Um, obviously, this is getting a lot of attention, a lot of effort at the national and state level on this. What do you see, you know, for the outlook for uh, dairy farmers going forward at, at this point, given what we're, what, you know, the, the new attention? Well, I, I think I think uh, the prices improving uh, in the short term should be providing some degree of, of hope uh, and relief. Uh, I think exports will continue to grow uh, because of trade agreements and because of expanding middle classes. Uh, in a number of areas where we have uh, deepened our presence from an, an export perspective. Uh, and I think there are opportunities in the long, long term 
uh, for new income uh, streams to be created as uh, farmers sequester carbon, as they reduce methane, as they uh, convert manure into a variety of different products, I think there are, are ways in which they can supplement and complement the income that they get from dairy uh, from the dairy uh, products that they're producing. And I think uh, state governments coming in and providing assistance and help to uh, enable uh, small to mid-sized operators not only to produce milk, but also to process it into local and, and, and factor it into local and regional food systems, all of which I think speaks to uh, 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 hopefully better days ahead. Fantastic. Well, Tom, thank you very much uh, for joining us today. Again, this is uh, Tom Vilsack from uh, the U.S. Dairy Export Council, and I'm Bill Osmolsky from the McIver Institute. And uh, thank you for listening to the McIver Newsmakers podcast.